0: This is an American workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host Chad Hopkins. How are you doing, Chad?
1: I'm doing okay. I'm a little I'm a little bummed. I my summer's over officially. I started work today and I'm tired. I took a nap already. It's that kind of <laughs> it's off to that kind of start. <laughs> but it's okay. I've got coffee. I've got a large amount of coffee actually for podcasting purposes. And so I'm good. How about you?
0: The 2019-2020 school year. <laughs> uh, good, good. A little crazy day here, and uh, I already told Chad. But apologies if you hear any sounds here at 11 o'clock in New York. They're they're deciding to pave some concrete uh, on my street, so that's what's happening. Sorry, <laughs> but it's
1: how all very good. New York of you.
0: I know, truly. It's like who needs to, who needs to sleep. <laughs> but before we get moving into our episodes, a couple of housekeeping things, introductions. We have a, an Apple podcast review from Juju Hill. And we have some Twitter activity messages and tweets from Michelle, from Cole, Robert, Dan, Angel, and Aaron. So thank you all for reaching out in your various platforms. We appreciate hearing from you.
1: And Julian, who's listening live on Twitch right now as well, I think you messaged us on Twitter, although your name not attached to your profile, so I didn't know what to put. So uh, th- thanks, Julian, for tuning into Twitch as well. Remember, everybody, we are streaming on Twitch every episode up to the end of the show because we love you guys and we want you to be able to follow along. And this is a way, if you're interested, to listen before it's officially edited and uploaded to the podcast feed. So it's available to you. Um, one more thing that I did this week. I saw (laughs) it's, it's office related. I promise. I saw the doctor who episodes, the end of time. It's a two part, uh, episode, which is the final episode of uh, David Tennant, uh, from his run of the show and Donna or Nellie Bertram is in it. So tangentially related. That was fun. (laughs)
0: And regarding Twitch, uh, we highly recommend watching Twitch. If you like some messy, unedited podcasts, uh,
1: <laughs> oh, you get to hear... I, I like nothing better than messy, yeah. unedited podcasts.
0: <laughs> that's really where we thrive. And um, you can see it in its raw glory on Twitch uh, from here to the end of the series. So we encourage you to do that.
1: Yeah, plus our faces. If
0: plus our faces. Our
1: voices aren't enough for you.
0: Yeah. Let's <laughs> see what we look like. Not exciting. Okay, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Starting off with The Whale. It aired on November 15th, 2012. It was directed by Rodman Flunder and written by Carrie Kemper.
1: David Wallace has landed a meeting with someone from the Scranton White Pages, the white whale of the paper industry. And he has asked Dwight, as top salesman, to meet with the person in charge of the account. They don't know this person's name, but they do know that she is a woman, which reveals a problem. Dwight can't sell to women. The women of Dunder Mifflin Scranton try to help him out. Is he a lost cause or will he be able to learn
0: before the sale? So before we get going, I think we should mention Andy. He has set sail to the Bahamas on his family's boat, as we saw at the end of the last episode. He took his brother and Aaron is super bummed and super, I don't know, hurt that he didn't bring her along.
1: We see just snippets of how things are going. He's sunburnt from head to toe. I could partially relate as of like two weeks ago, but it's mostly healed now, which is good. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And he has also dropped his drinking water overboard, but hey, it's okay. I've got a desalinator device, which he then drops overboard. And then as of the end of the cold open, he has dropped his laptop overboard. So there goes his contact with the outside world as well. So hopefully all the other sailing goes well because, you know, remember this is about him showing his dad that he's a man and it's hard to do that when you don't reach your destination because you lost everything keeping you alive.
0: (laughs) And then died. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So hopefully that all works out because uh, he has no mode of communication. So that's sort of what's going on with them. But the big bulk of this episode probably is with uh, Angela and Oscar. Angela uh, tells Oscar that She is suspicious that the senator is having an affair. Now, Oscar is, of course, panicked. Uh, He has a talking head where he says, I literally have nightmares in which what just happened happens, where what she just said was said. He says he wakes up in a sweat, and then he makes Angela's husband spoon him back to sleep. So he at least, I guess, has a cope for that, because uh, this is a real fear of his, and she has suspect i mean she she thinks that he's having an affair what she doesn't expect though is that the affair is with a man so she takes oscar to the yoga studio that the senator is always visiting uh she she says that he never misses the noon class it's hot yoga with blake now oscar's antenna goes up because blake is a unisex name this could be a female blake or it could be a male blake now oscar's not super concerned if it's a female blake and angela's not super concerned if it's a male Blake but they're both very interested at this point.
1: It's sad to see Oscar so in the wrong here. Uh, You know, he's likely the smartest person in the office and he knows that what he's doing is wrong or he wouldn't be having nightmares about Angela discovering it. But I guess it kind of goes to show how powerful our emotions can be and how driven by them we often are. Not that that excuses anything that he's doing, but I mean, these are people that have been working together for years and here he is doing this behind her back. and. Angela, when she first er raises her suspicions with Oscar, she says sometimes Robert comes home in the morning with a, quote, secret little smile. And Oscar at first starts aw, like, like, oh, how sweet. He's thinking of me or whatever. Sweet little smile. And then he has to like turn it into a more noncommittal sound as the, note, as the word goes on. And then when Angela mentions the hot yoga with Blake, Oscar tries to mollify her by saying, hey, Blake can be a guy's name. It's just so awful that he's trying to lessen her fears of an affair by presenting the idea of having, uh, by presenting the idea of Robert having an affair with a guy as silly or unlikely. You know, like he knows exactly what's going on. He's causing exactly what's going on. And he's trying to assuage Angela's fears by saying, oh, him having sex with a man is crazy. Like, no way he would be with a guy, Blake. And that's exactly what's going on. So it's really awful how he's playing her here. And it gets even worse when Oscar turns to jealousy and suspicion himself after convincing Angela to go with him to the gym to spy on Robert, find out who this Blake guy is. Because, you know, even though the idea of Blake being a guy might, make Angela worry less it makes Oscar worry more it's like what if Robert's having a double affair how what if he's cheating on me oh the humanity like it's ridiculous (laughs) I I feel so badly for Angela here I mean obviously she's done stuff like this to Andy in the past when she was sleeping with Dwight at the same time and something that's pointed out in the next episode that we can go ahead and mention is Angela and Dwight got together before the wedding while Robert and her were engaged uh, which is why there was that concern over whether Philip was actually Robert's son or if he might be Dwight's son. So, I mean, it's not like Angela's completely in the right here, but Oscar is so far in the wrong.
0: Oscar does convince Angela to go to the gym. They find Robert there, and he's with this itty-bitty, very attractive woman who, if Angela was Robert's type, this woman might also be his type. She's pretty similar physically to Angela. And... Oscar, of course, appears to be relieved, and Angela is very worried, because look at this cute woman, and she's younger than me, and she's, you know, fit, and whatever. But it's revealed that this woman has a boyfriend, and we see Robert engage in a very long hug with a man, and now it's Angela that's relieved, and Oscar who's very worried, and he won't let Angela leave when she's no longer suspicious that Robert's having an affair. Now he's, again, as you said, concerned that he's having an affair on Oscar, which Is that even possible? Can you have an affair on somebody that you're having an affair with? (laughs) I mean, how deep does the cheating go? And what's interesting here is that he tells Angela that the senator might be gay, given the way that he seemed to enjoy working out with another man. And then Angela kind of presses Oscar. She says, why did he say that? What do you mean? And I'll bring up my discussion topic here, which is the way Angela said that almost seemed like she suspected something. In my opinion, it was sort of like, What do you mean he could be gay? Why do you say that? And and it was sort of like, go into more detail, please, because I don't know. Maybe I was reading into the way that she said the line, but it seemed very much like she might have suspected something. What do you think?
1: I don't personally think that she suspected it. I think it was just like, it, it was just so strange for Oscar to at one second be comforting her and saying, oh, he's with the guy. It's not a big deal. To all of a sudden, oh, he's with the guy? That means he might be gay because I am the authority on that here in this office. Like mm. It was just like all of a sudden this really rapid switch that didn't really make sense to her and then the obsession that Oscar displays in the scene uh, with like being really stealthy and, oh, you, you got to be concerned. Politicians are wonderful liars. You never know. And so... I I think it would be strange. I, I think the suspicion arises when Oscar becomes so momentarily convinced that he might be gay. It's like, why would you know that unless you had some sort of personal insight into it? Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah and I so I, that, I, I didn't necessarily see suspicion on her part. Like she already thought he might be gay. I think it was just, and this is like, the saddest moment of the episode. I don't have a lot of sympathy for Angela a lot of the time, but you know, this whole storyline that's happened over the last season and a half or whatever, where her husband has turned out to be gay, and is having an affair with the man she's worked with for probably at least a decade. It just makes me feel really sorry for her. And it's never worse than in the moment when, after Oscar said, Oh, never mind, I'm just dehydrated. I don't know what I was saying, blah, blah, blah. He's trying to push aside this accusation that the senator might be gay. And then they see Robert making a phone call, and then Oscar's phone buzzes. And the the realization on Angela's face, the the heartbreak and the betrayal she displays in that moment, it, it's it's heartbreaking. It's so sad. And I feel so badly for her in that moment specifically.
0: Yeah, she's speechless, at least from what we can see. We don't hear any dialogue after she sees what's just happened. And Oscar doesn't have any words either. They just sort of Recognize together that this is now public between the two of them, and that's that's what that is. So things are about to get very tense between the two of them. Moving on to Dwight here. So David Wallace calls Dwight, and Jim sort of takes over that <laughs> that phone call and puts the the call on speakerphone. So now they both hear that the scranton and White pages have dropped their paper provider, so they are now ready to find a new paper provider. So they, Jim and Dwight, want to uh, make a move on this. But upon hearing that the person in charge of this account is a woman, everyone is really concerned that Dwight is the one to make this sale. Jim can't do it. He's going to be away. And Dwight is the top salesman. It, is, it would make sense that he should be the one to make the sale. But it is common knowledge that Dwight cannot sell to a woman. And uh, we see him practice on some of the women in the office, practice selling to them. And it goes absolutely miserably. He does not know how to speak to these people, and it's just incredibly uh, awkward and inappropriate and just not how you would talk to a person. They tell Dwight to just ignore every instinct he has because <laughs> it's all very bad.
1: He He's so incredibly sexist. He he's, He likes to be dominant and assert that when making a sale, which maybe works when he's going against other men in the business. But he's almost even sexual when it gets to the point where he's talking with a woman. It's like dominant male, submissive woman, like the way he sees it in his head. And whether it's intentional or not, it's really disturbing, even against other women in the office. And so the women eventually deem him a lost cause. Uh, Pam does give him some helpful advice on the way. And he does a good job of remembering what the women told him to do in the moment uh, when they get to the white pages, even if his execution is really bad. But then it's discovered that the woman he's trying to sell to is, in fact, Jan Levinson, no Gould. And Pam tells him to forget everything they taught him. So he's been told to forget everything twice this episode. First, everything that is his natural instincts and then everything that he was taught. So there's some confusion going on. And Dwight keeps trying to do some of the stuff he was taught at the office earlier that day. But we find that Jan had kept her identity a secret because this was originally intended to be a trap they or she was trying to get david wallace himself to come because the last interaction the two of them would have had would have been david firing her and her suing the company so she was just trying to get like some sort of revenge like drag him along and then not buy paper from him so when it is revealed that it's jan and they talk a little bit jan has made it clear that she has no intention of buying paper from them Dwight says hold on a 2nd He leaves Pam and he he says, you know, I I don't know women, but I do know sales. And so he comes back with Clark in tow. Uh, Pam reminded us in this episode that Jan had a thing for her former assistant Hunter after making everything all right with him that one night. (laughs) And Dwight uses Clark as a bargaining chip. You give us your business. You have this young man to do with as you please as a personal Dunder Mifflin's Granton liaison slash whatever else you want him to do, yikes,
0: <laughs> yeah, Dwight sensed that Molly Jan's assistant isn't quite meeting Jan's needs Ugh. so Jan decides to think this over. She asks Clark uh, to turn around to kind of do a little circle, show himself off, and she asks if he has a valid passport, and that's what we hear she says. Give me some time. I will let you know if I want your business. So Pam and Dwight leave, and on their way out, Pam tells Molly, Jan's current assistant, who is heading upstairs to Jan with two wine glasses and a bottle of wine. Yikes! Uh, that she should just quit. Molly, you need to you need to not work for Jan anymore. And Molly agrees. And Dwight, who finally has learned something about dealing with women, uh, tells her that he knows it must be difficult to work for Jan and wishes her luck. With her feelings and molly seems to appreciate that so he has learned something this episode
1: i love seeing pam working so hard to try and help him out she, she's once again owning up to her friendship that has developed with dwight over the course of the show she says 10 years ago i didn't care if dwight got married or died a beet farming bachelor but having kids makes you so soft and so as mentioned she does give him advice i mean it's just nice it's nice to see that they're friends. At the end of the episode, or at least at the end of the sale, after they have deposited Clark and they're on their way out, uh, they run across Jan's current assistant, Molly. Uh, Dwight speaks up and he says, Molly, I know it can't be easy working for Jan. Good luck with your feelings. <laughs> and Pam says, Dwight, that was, that was really nice. You should ask for her number. Uh, and this is more of a funny moment, but it leads into this moment where Dwight reveals that he didn't get her number, but he got her license plate number, which is all he needs. And uh, he says, when I've curried favor with her, I will let you know. Pam says, oh, why me? Dwight says, because you are my friend and you are a woman. And then he ruins it a little bit by saying, and women love gossip. It's like air to you people. (laughs) But still, the the fact that he says, you are my friend and you are a woman. uh, It's just, I, I love that they've both owned up to this weird friendship that they have and they both help each other out.
0: We have a little bit of Jim here. He's got a conference call lined up with his new job in Philly and he takes this call in the middle of his workday in Scranton but he's got people eavesdropping it makes it difficult for him to talk openly with this job cuz this job is still basically a secret so okay i'll take the call on my cell phone step outside but there's construction going on outside and they can't hear him he moves and sets up a car alarm it's just all inconvenient and he just can't seem to find the right place to do this so later jim gets another call from his partners in philly and They tell Jim that with Jim and Scranton, they're not sure that this will work. It kind of sounds like he's at a crossroads here. He either is about to get let go from his position or he needs to spend more time in Philly. So that's sort of where we see him this episode.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I was saying last episode. Without remembering that this happens, we talked, we had that discussion about whether it was right for Jim to offer up the full $10,000 for the investing. Uh, And I said, you know, maybe this is his safeguard for not getting kicked out of his company and even now it's sounding like that might not be enough unfortunately so jim's going to have to figure something else out but i mean it's just a less than ideal situation so he he, we'll see what happens in the next episode actually and then the last small little character moment to mention uh before we get into the funny stuff more of the funny stuff (laughs) erin we already talked about how she's still bummed that andy didn't ask her to go with him uh pete though we've talked about how they're getting along with each other they're friends with each other toby has brought movember to the office i'm sure most of us have heard of this but it's when uh, men grow mustaches and get pledges to them to donate to prostate cancer research or prevention or I- i'm not entirely sure to be honest but anyways pete has grown a quote mustache and aaron basically tells him that she's not a fan And the very next shot we see is him walking out of the bathroom with a razor and a freshly clean-shaven face. So her opinion seems to matter a lot to him. And you know, we've always said in this podcast that we try not to spoil what is coming up next, and we're not overly hinting at upcoming story points any more than the episode itself does. So just make your own assumptions about what's happening here, is what I have to say.
0: Context clues. Yeah. Maybe I can use the dialogue from that exchange between Aaron and Pete as a transition into funny moments because her reaction was pretty funny. So, as you said, she does not like Pete's mustache. Pete walks up and Aaron kind of startles. She goes, ah, oh, sorry, I just saw your face. <laughs> and Pete says, oh, I'm sorry, it's, it's for the thing. And she says, I know, that's great. It just, it, it just makes it look like there's an eyebrow in the middle of your face. And Pete says, oh, wow. <laughs> which is not a compliment. Aaron says, Oh, a a handsome eyebrow, but it makes your mouth look like an eye socket, which isn't bad, (laughs) but you look like a cyclops whose eye fell out, which is great. It's such a great cause.
1: (laughs) That is such a funny scene. And she's like fighting disgust. She's going through these lines.
0: She's like, you look horrible, but it's so good.
1: (laughs) We have the cold open this episode, which we already talked about what's happening with Andy. Uh, But my favorite part of the cold open is one of my favorite Aaron moments and one of the the Aaron moments that I frequently casually reference. Uh, She says, last week, Andy set sail for the Bahamas to sell his family's boat and he took his brother, but not me. I was kind of sad at first, but then I remembered that Bob Marley song. No woman. No cry <laughs> Which is not the intention of this song whatsoever, which is why I find it so funny. I went through a very brief, uh, but enjoyable Bob Marley phase in college, and so that that always makes me laugh.
0: <laughs> Dwight talks about the white pages and and how it's the, the white whale. He says, Do you want the white pages? No. Do you use it? No. Does it inexplicably show up at your doorstep three times a year? Yes, yes, and yes. And then he says, there's a reason that we in the paper industry call it The White Whale. And then he has this White Pages book. And in a very sexual voice, he just says, look at all that sweet lover. (laughs) And it's just uh, not what I would have thought when I saw White Pages. But I guess (laughs) uh, to someone in the paper industry, it's it's a cash cow.
1: Yeah. When teaching Dwight, uh, Phyllis gives an example of how to sell to a woman. She says, oh, are those your kids? They're so cute. They could be models. Later, uh, when in Jan's office and seeing the picture of Astrid, Dwight says, Your daughter could be a bubble bath model. I could just bite her head off. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's trying, but not, not quite there in the execution.
0: This great moment between Dwight and Aaron. When Dwight finds out that David Wallace wants Dwight to be in charge of this account or in charge of getting this sale, Dwight is thrilled. He says, David, I'm going to have to put you on hold. He puts him on hold. And he's, he celebrates, he says, ah, eat it, Jim, eat it, Phyllis, where's Stanley? And Aaron says, oh, he's in the bathroom. And Dwight says, would you run to the bathroom and tell him to eat it? <laughs> he says, oh, of course. And uh, Dwight celebrates some more and he goes, hey, David, I'm back. And from the kitchen, we hear Aaron say, eat it, Stanley. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so funny.
0: I'm not even sure that she knew exactly what, like why, but she's just happy to be playing. <laughs>
1: Pam is trying to solve for Dwight while he goes and fetches Clark. And so she tries to appeal to Jan as a mother, knowing how obsessive Jan was and still is. She says, hey, can I see more photos of Astrid? Sorry, Astrid. And Jan says, fine, I will show you one slideshow. <laughs> and, and Pam just sort of gym faces the camera.
0: <laughs> and then at the end of the slideshow, well, first of all, the slideshow itself is just a work of art. It's oh, Jan that's a word for it. singing this song that she wrote. Mommy you're a princess, mommy you're a superstar, mommy you're the greatest, how can I fill your shoes? And uh at the end Jan has written out love Astrid in children's handwriting and Pam assumes of course that Astrid has written this and she says, "Oh, it's so cute how Astrid signs her name." And Jan says, "Oh, well that was me, I wrote that." And Pam says, oh, because Cece does, you know, the backwards E's that way, too. So I just thought, you know. And Jan attacks Pam for that. She says, Cece can't spell her name. It's two letters. And Astrid is, you know, so many more. There's some adults (laughs) who can't even spell it. And Pam, realizing that she's made a mistake here, just tries to, (laughs) oh, I'm sorry. You're right. It's a very, very challenging name. And Jan says, well, spell it. Spell it, Pam. Pam goes, uh, A... X? I, I don't know. You got me. And Jan, who was kind of smiling and feigning civility here, just drops the act and goes, don't patronize me. And Pam <laughs> is terrified. I'm so sorry. I hate this. You're better. <laughs> oh, um, Jan got crazier.
1: More trying to teach Dwight practice. Uh, Dwight is trying to sell to Aaron, who is playing the boss. Dwight says, hello. Aaron says, hello. Dwight says, may I please speak to your boss? Phyllis speaks up and says, no, she is the boss. Aaron is caught off guard by this. She says, I am? Hmm. I'm Mr. Hannon. How can I help you? So Aaron is reinforcing the stereotype unintentionally. Dwight says, okay, this isn't working for me because no one would ever believe that she would be a boss. And Aaron says, he's absolutely right. I'm really struggling. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Dwight assuming the woman isn't the boss. And then Aaron reinforcing the stereotype herself. It's, it's really funny.
0: Dwight is also practicing showing people that he is listening because he apparently struggles with nonverbal communication. And Pam has Dwight practice on Nellie. So Nellie starts talking to Dwight. Uh, Pam is painting this this painting that I've commissioned her to paint. And she starts going on about that. And Dwight, in an effort to show Nellie, quite literally show her that he's listening, He's doing what they practiced, which is grinning and nodding his head like a serial killer. And Aaron kind of has to correct him. It's just up and down, just a regular nod, like a person. <laughs> and Dwight says, I am a person. Aaron says, yes. <laughs> and uh, Nellie is just, I can't, I can't do this. It looks like he's laboring over a stool, just having eaten human flesh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's terrifying. <laughs>
1: And Dwight does the same thing later uh, to Jan, and she just says, stop that. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Stop it. <laughs> stop. it. mentioned that in Twitch chat, and that's a great moment. Yeah. There's another moment in the practice where Dwight gets really sexual, as I was talking about, with his phrasing. And so I'm not going to go over that. But then Nellie's response, she says, I have uh, written down a few questions. One, have you ever killed a woman? Two, how many women have you killed? Please, sir, will you not kill me? <laughs> it's like yes, you're you're coming on really strong, Dwight. really strong.
0: Nellie gets better and better. i I <laughs> love her so much. Toby, as we said, is uh, starting this November thing and he got some of the guys to participate and uh, Toby with a mustache resembles very closely what you would imagine a very creepy like <laughs> They go into it a bit in the uh, deleted scenes, so I'll just go ahead and say it. Like, a pedophile would look like. It's just that stereotypical, like, creepy dude. And um, the way he just says some of these lines, he says, I have very fertile hair glands. Okay, no thanks. But he's so in love with this community that he has created around Movember, and he's almost in tears. He's so excited that all of the dudes are doing Movember in the annex. Uh, but everyone's kind of terrified of him because he just looks so bad
1: smile if you love men's prostates
0: oh <laughs> and the and mother she mom, just like hugs like, <laughs> her son close
1: and hurries off. like, like, like don't get. talk to the man <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh it's not good
1: beginning of the episode all over the place phyllis suggests with the acquisition of the white pages that they could double their gross everyone could get raises we would get bonuses etc she says we could even maybe bring back pizza fridays because that's a priority for sure i mean yeah for real it, it would be a priority honestly uh emeritus says remember that week in the 90s when we got bagels <laughs> there was one week it was glorious we had bagels and then creed says i miss clinton <laughs> like because he mentioned the 90s. Why not? Oh, the 90s. Bagels and Clinton.
0: <laughs> the highlights of the 90s.
1: <laughs> for sure.
0: Maybe my last one in an effort for time. Angela and Oscar, when they're spying on the senator, the senator is stretching with this tiny lady, as as we mentioned. And Angela is so just amazed that he would deign to do this. And she says, look at what they're doing. Look at how they're stretching. And Oscar, ever the realist, says, She's repositioning his hips for downward-facing dog, which is a yoga position. And Angela uh, misunderstands. She says, yeah, I've heard of this dog style. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and she
1: also says something uh, to, like... She's a petite double zero for sure, for sure. For sure, like, for sure. <laughs> she's I always quote, been so proud sure, of her size. All the time. <laughs> she's always been so proud of her size. And here she is jealous of some other woman's size because it <laughs> might mean that her husband's cheating on her. Because okay, she's
0: no. even smaller.
1: My last one. Uh we get this small but I think really funny Hank moment. Uh Jim has leaned against Meredith's van in the parking lot and the alarm goes off. And so Hank comes outside and he says, Hey, are those skateboarders back? And just a a few seconds later, he shouts, This ends now. It's like he's been on this hunt for these skateboard hoodlums.
0: This ends now. And it's a totally undiscussed plot line. But even in the deleted scenes, we don't get any. It's just like this one small thing that's (laughs) very passionate for him.
1: Yeah, like skateboarding tyrants. They've returned (laughs) to set off all the car alarms.
0: (laughs) So moving into deleted scenes. We, lucky us, get to see Andy on the boat, retching and gagging, which apparently happens like five times a day. Mm. Andy also shows us the book he's reading on the boat, which is The Old Man of the Sea by Ernest Hemingway. He says he started it many times, but he's finally going to finish it. And then he kind of shows us around the boat, including his compass, which is pointed north, which worries Pam, since he is (laughs) sailing south, or should be anyway. And uh, she says, at no point, <laughs> at no point should it be headed north. Andy says, not to worry. This thing has been broken for days. I hate to break it to you. That is worrisome. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's broken because Andy has been using it as a bongo to accompany himself while he sings. So, mm. great. <laughs>
1: well, Jump with the glare bear, man. <laughs> There's more of the guys playing ball in the annex and you get the line that you get in the episode where Toby, this is fun yeah this is fun like, it's so strange and then he says damn it i'm so glad i introduced november to this office and creed enters he says you know i had a mustache once says my lady friends called it the tickler because he stuck it right in their armpits whoo <laughs> that's why um and toby says you know we should call it tovember you know toby november oh no, baby that sort of went a little owen wilson but that's okay um <laughs> Everyone is just ignoring Toby, though. Like, they don't care. They're they're, they're, just, they're back there doing their own thing. They're ignoring Toby as they play ball, playing catch. Stanley walks in, and Kevin says, right on, Stanley. Growing a mustache. Stash power. And Stanley has a talking head. He says, people don't realize I've had this mustache for years. I've gotten $160 in pledges. And he just smiles.
0: <laughs> of course, harkens back to many episodes ago, I don't even know which one, where... They try to guess if Stanley has the mustache, and uh, he confirms that he's had it for years. Toby, in another deleted scene, laments that when he tried to pick his daughter up from school with his mustache, they wouldn't let him. It should also be noted he's wearing a uh, trench coat at this time as well. He says that they wouldn't even let him on the playground. Well, of course not. You look like a serial killer. (laughs) A A group of moms chased him down the street, and Daryl tells him that, hey, I'm sorry, but he also completely understands why they did that. (laughs) And uh, then Toby sees that Pete has shaved his mustache, and Pete gives the excuse that, oh, it's just a habit I have of shaving in the afternoon. Sorry, I forgot. (laughs) And then there's a Toby talking head. He says that he was going to shave his mustache today after the school incident, but you can't lose two guys. Okay. And then he says maybe he'll pick his daughter up tomorrow wearing a ski mask to hide the mustache. Yeah. That's better. Do that. <laughs> Let us know how that goes. Eesh. Ridiculous.
1: And then Clark, at this point, walks out of the uh, the office with a box of his stuff. And Toby says, hey, Clark, you're not shaving your stash, are you? Clark looks unsure. And so he turns to ask for approval from Jan, who's there in her convertible. And she says, absolutely not. And tells him to get in the car. Remember back in the episode, uh, Dwight tells Jan he's been growing it for weeks. Best he can it's do. This, <laughs> yeah, it's like one of the selling little... points.
0: It's like a peach fuzz mustache. He can't grow one, and uh, Jan likes it. Let's just put it that way. Uh. Uh, When Phyllis tells Dwight that he makes women uncomfortable by doing things like, you know, calling them Gina instead of Gina, Dwight is very confused and shocked. He says, really? We call boys Peter. We call them Wang. He asks Angela if, uh, when they had (laughs) meetings in the warehouse, if she ever felt uncomfortable. Uh, Of course, this is in public, so they can't openly discuss it and angela says that she remembers the meetings to be very brief boring even <laughs> dwight disagrees and phyllis offers to give dwight some last minute pointers before the meeting and dwight very sarcastically says oh great pointers from women in the office and uh nelly okay so are you going to take it are you going to take the advice or not dwight says well i said great didn't i <laughs> <laughs> yeah but maybe watch your tone
1: Pam has a talking head. She says, I just want to make it clear that Dwight would never willingly hurt a woman. Although, if she steps into one of his booby traps, that's on her. <laughs> uh, fair. And then uh, she's talking to Dwight in the conference room, and she says, you know, you're going to lose this sale, Dwight. He says, I'm, Pam, what, what do we, women even like? She says, a lot of things. He says, do women like pizza? That's the same thing Michael asked about black people, by the way. And oh, yeah. uh And she says, a lot of them like pizza. Yes, a lot of them do. And he just responds, okay. Like, that's given him some greater understanding (laughs) or point of reference for what women like. I mean, I like pizza. We do like like pizza. pizza.
0: It's it's our biggest common ground.
1: White people like pizza. Black people like pizza.
0: (laughs) In his car, Dwight rocks out to uh, pump up the sale because we know he likes to headbang in his car. And he's like yelling, make the sale, make the sale. And Pam is in the car with him. And she's uh, mildly uncomfortable at the very least. So Dwight puts on some soothing soft music for her, which is really sweet. And uh, now they're both ready. He's pumped, (laughs) she's calm, and they can get out of the car. And Dwight says, smell that, Pam? That's phone book. Weak men can't lift it. Strong men can't rip it in half. But you and me, we're going to sell to it. I, I like that scene that he kind of calms down his his routine for her.
1: Yeah, I really like it too. It it contrasts with what Dwight has done with Jim before a sale in the past. Shows that he can be considerate and he holds a door open for her and lets her enter the building before him. So it's really sweet. Mm-hmm. Jan and Pam, we get more of them hanging out while waiting on Dwight to return. Jan says, Ash, it'll be fine. My sperm donor was a Caltech physicist. So it sounds like she went and found out more info about the father after the scare that it might have been Kevin. <laughs> um, yeah. And he she says, your sperm donor sells paper. Pam says, by my sperm donor, do you mean my husband, Jim? Jan says, I'm just saying, your sperm was free. You get what you pay for. Uh, Pam says, well, Jim and I love each other, so that's got to be worth something. And Jan gets on the offensive. She says, so now you're saying that I'm unlovable? And Pam's like horrified. Jan continues, that's what you're basically saying. And so Pam apologizes. Jan says, no, I get it. I hear it. There's just this uncomfortable silence for a moment. And Pam says, do you have another one of these gesturing towards the slideshow? She says, let's see it. And so Jan calls for Molly. And then they just sit there in silence while they wait for Molly to bring another slideshow.
0: Oh, Jan got crazier. All right. Well, we already covered my discussion topics, So let's... uh... Let's have you bring us in for the new episode.
1: Okay, we are talking about The Target. It aired on November 29th of 2012. It was directed by Brent Forrester and written by Graham Wagner.
0: Angela now knows about Oscar and her husband, and she is murderously mad. Literally, she hires one of Dwight's friends to kill Oscar. Luckily, it turns into just a kneecapping, and not even that in the end. But it's all very tense. It's all... I mean, it turns the office upside down for the three of them anyway. Meanwhile, Jim has to convince Stanley and Phyllis to help him out while he works part-time in Scranton and part-time in Philly.
1: It's only the day, the next day, okay, uh, after the previous episode. It's one of those rare back-to-back days in the office. Uh, Oscar starts his day freaking out over whether his secret is out and whether Angela will be upset with him or not. He says, you know, if she's cold and awkward and cruel to me when she comes in, then great, it's business as usual. And so he's really worried. He can barely get a word out when Angela does come in and doesn't say anything at first. And then she says, hey, can I ask you a question? And he's sweating it. He's, he's really nervous before she asks, is it cool in here to you? He's automatically relieved. He has a talking head. He says, I'm not really surprised because this is a woman who married a man who is obviously a homosexual. She basically has her head in the sand in a way. I feel sorry for her. He says, I guess the universe rewards true love. Ugh. But during this talking head, we see Angela in the background, just sort of staring. She knows something. Didn't let Oscar know that she knows. And she's even holding a pair of scissors, point out. So it's kind of disconcerting. And on a phone call that he makes later in the episode, he told Robert that their secret was, well, he, I mean, he had told Robert, apparently, that their secret was in danger of being exposed. So I wonder, do you think it, do you think he gave Robert the context of how that discovery happened, that they were spying on him? Or do you think he was just sort of like, uh-oh, Angela f- suspects for some reason, without giving the the greater context of the situation?
0: I definitely think the latter. Yeah, I think he wouldn't tell the senator that they were spying on him. He's smart enough that he could come up with a uh, an alternate plot for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely what I think happened. As I mentioned, we see... Angela approached Dwight in private. She tells him to to meet her at the old place in five minutes because she needs him. Well, he, of course, takes this to mean that they're going to have sex. So when she arrives, he's naked except for socks. But it's not that kind of meeting. She demands he put clothes back on. She needs someone who works outside the law. And so she wanted uh, Dwight's services originally. But at first, Dwight declines. But then he agrees to maybe call a friend of his. So Dwight and Angela meet Trevor, who's a super (laughs) sketchy guy in a super sketchy van, and she tells him that she wants someone to be murdered. The big M, as Trevor says. So Dwight tells Angela that he's against uh, her having someone murdered. He suggests that, you know, maybe she could defecate into a paper bag and put that on the person's porch.
1: Devastating.
0: Yeah, devastating. Which is about... As physical as it should probably get. But Angela insists that it must be physical retribution. And Trevor, who doesn't seem comfortable either with killing someone, suggests a kneecapping. Angela says, okay, that could work. That could work. So she's going to get someone kneecapped. Back at the office, Oscar, out of the blue, brings Angela a cookie. And she thanks him and calls him an angel. And when he turns his back, she crumbles the cookie into pieces. Now Dwight sees this and realizes who it is that Angela wants to hurt, either kill or kneecap, and he cannot let this happen. His moral compass kicks in and he is just very against this.
1: This is a really great episode for Dwight because of how he supports Angela and tries to help her through this situation but is also protective of Oscar. And we can talk about that a little bit more as we continue through the storyline, but Angela being so keen on revenge uh towards Oscar she says he turned her husband gay uh so in reference to the discussion topic for the previous episode where we talk about whether she had suspicions before and i i don't think she did but here she's in like complete denial i think she trusts that she usually has better judgment than this that you know her christian background would maybe have prevented her from airing an actually gay man but it's just so much easier to blame someone else when you feel stupid the saddest thing to me is that Angela has the expectation or the hope that having this done to Oscar will solve her problem with her husband. Like that seems to be her initial thought. Like if Oscar's out of the picture, then my husband will not be gay anymore. Like Oscar's the only thing making her husband gay. And so it's it's just such extreme denial, but it's also hurt at Oscar's betrayal. Dwight helps to unearth Angela's greater feelings about this. He says, Well, I could understand you wanted to get a stranger's knees whacked, but a coworker, dare I say a friend. And he said the exact thing to, to sort of set her off. She says exactly a friend, someone who sits next to you year after year, making chit chat and smiling and all the while running behind your back and defiling your marriage and seducing your husband. Uh, and this is the moment where I mentioned earlier, Dwight says, you know, I can't imagine how painful this must be for you, but the first ones to break your marriage vows were you and me. Not technically true since it happened before the marriage, but uh, still the, the point stands. Angela is not completely innocent in this either. So, I mean, it, it, it's tough to see how hurt she is, and they manage to stop Trevor from taking Oscar out. And Angela gets the confrontation she deserves to have with Oscar, and thankfully, Oscar doesn't deny anything. He tells the truth. He apologizes. Uh, it, it's just a wonderful moment. Trevor's gone. Oscar turns around, and that she's there. And even though she blames Oscar for her husband being gay, Oscar does say, you know, it." he is gay. That's not my fault. You just have to accept that. But I will take full blame for the situation. And here's the pipe that you were going to take out my kneecaps with. Hit me. You have my permission. And I mean, it's poor payback for a ruined marriage, but it's, it's what he can give her at the moment. So at least he does that much for her.
0: And then after all of that goes down, Dwight finds Angela crying alone on a bench and he comes to comfort her and lets her cry on his shoulder. So it's, A nice tender moment between the two of them that we haven't gotten in a long time. Mm -hmm. We haven't really gotten that even since before they were sleeping together, really back when they were dating is the last Mm -hmm. time I feel like they had a a sweet moment like that together. And uh, he was just there as a friend, letting her cry it out.
1: He was defensive of Oscar, too when he came between Trevor and Oscar, he says, he's a Dunder Mifflin man. He's my tribe. Mm. And so what I love about that quote specifically is yes, he's using it to defend Oscar in the moment, but it it implies that he would do the same thing for any of his coworkers because Mm. those are all Dunder Mifflin people, which is such a huge change uh, back to Doomsday in season eight when he was going to basically get everybody fired because they made five mistakes in a day. And he ended up turning it off because he realized how much these people mean to him. So I I love the implication that had it been Meredith even or Creed or whoever, any random person, and maybe you could argue that Creed or Meredith wouldn't be included in this. But the fact is he says Dunder Mifflin people. And so these are all his people.
0: I think Dwight makes one of the biggest character turnarounds, one of the biggest arcs in the whole series. uh, And the majority of it happens in in season nine. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's a pretty dramatic switch for him. And I really like watching it happen.
1: Moving on to the next story item. Let's talk about Jim because Jim has a big day today. He's asking David Wallace if he can start working part-time because of what we talked about in the last episode where it's almost sounding like he's getting shoehorned out of the company he helped to start and invested $10,000 in uh, because he's not around. And the the company is now called Athlead, uh, which was named while he wasn't there. He says, I could have prevented that. <laughs> I think it's a fine name, but whatever. But he calls David Wallace, and because David Wallace is a super reasonable person, bless him, he okays it because his initial concern of someone not being in the office to cover customer concerns in Jim's absence is assuaged by Jim saying, oh yeah, Phyllis and Stanley have agreed to cover for me while I'm gone. And he hadn't okayed this with them at this point. And so the rest of Jim's storyline this episode is taking phyllis and stanley out to lunch to sort of win them over and so yeah it's a bit presumptuous that he tells david without actually talking to them but that's what i like about this show is that the relationships have developed over time we see this with dwight and oscar we see this with jim and stanley and phyllis here these aren't just co-workers anymore they're friends as we we, we talked about this even back in like season two and three when this was first starting they were all at each other's weddings like how many times are you going to invite every single coworker? your big major life events, it doesn't happen, and so I love that this happens here, where they're they're becoming real friends and Phyllis and all her random cattiness towards Pam, which admittedly mostly comes out of the deleted scenes, it folds when it actually comes to being there to support each other. At the end of the episode, yeah, they've taken a lot of Jim's money for lunch and they've gotten themselves drunk and given him a hard time, but they say we love you guys. Of course, we're going to cover for you. It's really awesome. I love seeing those friendships blossoming.
0: And then the last character development here is a good transition into funny moments because it's, it's quite humorous. It's a uh, Pete line predominantly. He is uh, inputting customer complaints into the computer, but when they're in, he has to fill out a card that also lists the customer complaint, which he thinks is redundant and stupid, and it is. <laughs> but what is he supposed to do with these cards? When he asked Andy, Andy said, you know, Figure it out, whatever. And then he went on a long boat ride. So great, I'm going to figure out some things to do with these cards. And he starts building little paper houses with the cards, which eventually turn into a giant paper card tower full of customer complaints. Now it starts on his desk and goes all the way up to the ceiling and it's really wide, which tells you how many customer complaints they have. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) So many. I don't know how far these go back, but it sounds like, I don't know. It's a lot. Now, most people start watching him build and it's becoming a rather large tower and it it starts to sort of become this camaraderie thing and they cheer him on. Some of the complaints we hear on the cards, Meredith called the Eastern Pennsylvania Seminary a sausage factory. (laughs) Yikes. Creed has several infractions, though we don't hear what they are. And Daryl pocket dialed a customer while he was having sex. Uh, Turns out, He wasn't actually having sex. He was eating spaghetti, but he's going to let them think that he was having sex, given what it sounded like. Kevin goes to put this complaint on the tower, this very high up tower, and he knocks the whole thing over. And everyone starts yelling at Kevin and, you know, calling him stupid. And Pete steps in here, and I I quite like Pete's personality. I think he's a really even-keeled, kind person. He steps in Mm -hmm. and he defends Kevin. He says, hey, stop. It's a mistake. It's just a mistake. That's what this tower is all about, mistakes. So if you're afraid of screwing up, this tower is not for you. And Aaron is there and hears this and smiles, and she just loves his uh, his welcoming attitude, it appears.
1: At the same time this is happening, uh, Pam is getting started on the mural that Nellie has commissioned her to paint in the warehouse. Uh, but she's struggling to get this started, and the rest of the office sort of shows some doubt that she'll actually do anything Pam has had some commitment issues in the past. Uh, Meredith says, you know, she's the queen of the primer because that's all she's done downstairs so far is primed to the wall. Uh, and there is some, some truth to this. I mean, this will be a permanent fixture and every brushstroke is a commitment. Uh, but just like what Pete is talking about, it's about celebrating being human and making mistakes and accepting that we make mistakes, which is okay. And so Pam goes through the effort of getting a customer complaint because they need that one last uh, customer complaint card to make it to the top of the ceiling. And that shows that she's okay with not being perfect. And so she goes downstairs. She starts working on her painting. She says, do you think that Kevin cares what people think about him or Creed or Meredith? She says, oh my gosh, these are my role models now. And she pauses and she says, you know what? I'm okay with that. It's the same thing as what I was talking about with Jim. It's about the relationships built over time. Why shouldn't these people... Be role models for Pam. They're real people. They have real struggles. Yeah, they may be a little silly sometimes, but the bottom line is they're more than just co workers to everybody at this point. So I, I really love that.
0: Anything else you want to mention?
1: No, I think that's it. Let's talk about funny stuff.
0: Dwight has some great bits in this episode. Uh, along with being touching here, he's also quite funny. This great line, though a bit crude, when he turns Angela down the first time for his vigilante services. He says, oh, I'm sorry. Your vigilante privileges ended when you broke up with me. If I'm not in your panties, I don't go vigilantes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I hope he thought of that on the spot, because if not, then he anticipated that this situation would happen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to steal the Trevor stuff, because he's like dark. He's like dark (laughs) mate. I think that's an apt way to describe him. Um, so when Angela is first meeting him, uh, in his van or whatever, uh, she says, so what are your credentials? Trevor says, I started following people around to get exercise. Turns out I'm damn good at it. Angela says, do you have a gun? I says, does he own a gun? (laughs) Show her. (laughs) And so he rifles through these bits of paper he has crumpled up and hands her this. He says, you tell me. She says, what is this? He says, it's a receipt for my gun. He says, you don't carry it with you? He says, read the receipt. That's a $300 gun. Someone could steal it. (laughs) (laughs) Dwight says, do you have any idea how many guns Trevor's had stolen from him? And uh, Trevor says, now I keep it in a safe. Dwight, mm, good safe? He says, oh, you tell me. And he rifles through the receipts again and hands him another one. Dwight looks at it. wow (laughs)
0: Wow, great safe
1: (laughs) he's just got this handful of crumpled receipts like okay (laughs) sure
0: dwight and angela have a sit down with toby at the end of the episode uh regarding homosexuality they need to have some questions answered and toby's the guy to do that and uh, neither one quite understands how it all works dwight says where does gayness come from and how is it transmitted Angela says that her pastor said it can come from breastfeeding. Toby is shocked. He said, Really, your pastor said that? And she said, Well, he didn't fight back when I when I suggested it. <laughs> and then uh, Angela asks, What is it called when two men intertwine their penises like the snakes on a medic alert bracelet? <laughs> and they they it's just they yeah, it gets kind of is it vulgar, called red but vining? red vining. And they both like had heard this. It's called vining, right? And they ask where the gay men's vaginas are, and Toby says they don't have them; they're men. And Dwight, like he, Dwight, can't understand the mechanics of. It's just all very funny and crude.
1: Yeah, and it is funny how, like, when one asks a question, the other one's like nodding in support, like, "Yeah, I have that same question. Please explain this, this to me." <laughs> oh, uh, more Trevor, <laughs> because I think he's so funny. I was
0: gonna let you have those.
1: He shows up in the office with a foot-long sub with a lead (laughs) pipe stuffed down the middle of it. That's how he's going to kneecap Oscar. He says, uh, I have a sandwich for Oscar Martinez. And Kevin speaks up and he says, I am Oscar Martinez. (laughs) (laughs) He does a little bit of a Spanish accent. And Angela stops that from happening, fortunately. But then later, when... Dwight has rescued Oscar and has taken him through the warehouse and outside. He's trying to get him to escape and they bump into Trevor and he's got, he's wielding the lead pipe and Trevor says, let's get it on. I'm going to do this. I might, I might puke, but I'm going to do this. Dwight says, no, Trevor, I'm not going to let you. He's a Dunder Mifflin man. He's my tribe. Trevor says, I'm sorry, Dwight, but for once in my stupid, stupid life, I'm going to follow through on something. All right. I have masculinity issues. Stop. No, (laughs) they, they struggle. But then before he leaves, uh, he tells Oscar, if you chase me, I will run so fast. If you catch me, I will bite so hard. Got it? Goodbye, my friend. And he runs off into the the rest of the day, I guess. <laughs> he, he just disappears.
0: A couple of Stanley moments. Stanley, at first, really does not plan, or at least he tells Jim he does not plan on helping him with his problem. Stanley asks, why should I help you? Jim says, because we're friends. Stanley says, when is my birthday? Jim says, unfair, when's my birthday? Stanley says, I don't know, because we're not friends. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that's unfair. I, I have a lot of friends who probably could not tell me my birthday. but
0: Yeah, that seems like, I don't know, something that when I was in like grade school, I knew way more.
1: But now Facebook tells you.
0: Yeah, I don't know when my friends' birthdays are. Sorry, guys.
1: I have a really good memory for that kind of thing, but <laughs> it's pretty much just me. My, my friends don't. <laughs> But that's okay. Pam says, I can get us a customer complaint. And so Aaron says, okay, the client is Haymont and Tire. They're family owned, but don't let that take away your edge. No, he says, come on, Pam. I know you can fail. I see failure in you. Creed speaks up and says, remember, you're a scumbag. So th- think scummy thoughts like this. And he closes his eyes and thinks scummy thoughts, I guess. Uh, so Pam Makes the call. She says, Hello, this is Pam Halpert. I'm calling from Dunder Mifflin. Yes, your paper provider. And I just called to say, Your mom is so fat when she wears red, people yell, hey Kool-Aid. Yeah, your mom is fat. This is Pam Halpert. She hangs up. Pete says, Did she buy it? Pam I says, I-, I couldn't tell, but I think <laughs> I-, I thought they were confused at least. <laughs> and Creed says, You did good. You did good. Then later, uh, they they do get the complaint, and Pete reads it out as he's about to put it on the tower. He says, our crowning complaint card comes to us thanks to Pamela Halpert for insulting a client's recently deceased mother. Pam says, I did not know that. Pete says, well, a woman who struggled with obesity all her life. Pam says, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and Pete, yeah, yeah, that's, that's terrible.
0: <laughs> One of my favorite moments from the episode, Kevin is a very bad cheerleader for Pete trying to build the card tower. Kevin is watching this, and he says, make it go taller. Pete says, yeah, that's that's the idea. He's building a, a low, wide base to, to make the tower go high. And, uh, and Kevin says, no, not taller this way, side to side, taller this way. And Pete says, okay, well, I've got to build a wider base first before I can go higher. And Kevin says, you're not getting this, Peter. Make it go wider. Ah, <laughs> he's like really patronizing to Pete. He says, yep, we'll do. And Daryl walks in. He goes, what are y'all doing? Kevin says, me and Pete are building a tower. <laughs> Daryl says, cool, but it should be taller though, right? <laughs> Kevin says, obviously he's a sweet kid, Daryl, but he's not the sharpest guy in the drawer. <laughs> <laughs> Make it go wider. Ah. Oh. (laughs)
1: dwight has several funny like one lines he he says he and the senator are gaying each other in reference (laughs) to oscar and uh then when he's trying to save oscar later he says oh don't lie i'm trying to save those precious knees you're always bragging about (laughs) i'm (laughs) sure oscar brags about his knees all the time and then at the end of the episode when he's comforting angela uh angela says i feel so stupid i sit next to him every day dwight says you're not stupid jazz is stupid Angela gets hysterical at this point.
0: Jazz is stupid. I mean, just play the right notes. (laughs) (laughs) Meredith doesn't believe that Pam could get a customer complaint. She thinks she's too nice. Meredith says, you, little Miss Pris, you wouldn't fart on a butterfly. Pam says, no, I wouldn't. I can't even relate to that impulse, but I can do this.
1: (laughs) Stanley reveals himself to be me. He says, I'll have the surf and turf with a side order of lobster. <laughs> the waiter says, actually, the surf and turf does come with lobster. And Jim nods and he points at the waiter in agreement like, yeah, what he said. Stanley surf says, not enough lobster, side order. <laughs> I'm like, yes, bring on the lobster. That's what I want.
0: And then Phyllis orders wine by asking, <laughs> how much wine do you have? <laughs> the waiter isn't quite sure how to respond to that question. We have lots Uh And it will kill you if you drink all of it. Maybe my last one. Pam has an impatient audience awaiting her mural in the warehouse. It's Hide. Pam is up on the cherry picker really high up and Hide's watching. He says, you paint the wall now. Pam says, yeah, painting now. Just got to make sure. Hide says, you paint now. Pam says, it's probably going to be a few minutes. You can go back to doing whatever you're doing. Hide says, I wait. I wait. (laughs) And was like, oh, thank you. Great.
1: And at the end of the episode, she has f- finally started painting. And she says, if you're an artist, you have to be okay with the idea that you can't please everybody all the time. And Hide, her captive audience, says, you paint very bad. She just <laughs> says, shut up, Hide. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Moving into deleted scenes, there is a, a long extended one here. Toby, thanks everyone for donating to this year's canned food drive. But it's sort of sarcastic because people didn't bring that much stuff. Everyone brought maybe one, maybe two cans. Daryl goes through what everyone brought. He says, Phyllis, it must have been really difficult for you to bring this dented can of water chestnuts. And Phyllis remarks, well, they're good in stir fries. Daryl asks her if botulism, you know, that disease you might get from eating from a dented can, is also good in stir fries. Creed brought in a can of garbanzo beans from the 1990s. Maybe that's when there was, you know, Clinton and bagels. (laughs) And uh, he also brought in a can of racquetballs, which are not edible, of course. There's a can that Daryl doesn't know what it is. Kevin tells him that it's brown and is confused when Daryl doesn't understand what brown is. There's a Kevin talking head. He says, I eat brown every week. Hot brown, ice brown cream of brown, pasta with brown sauce, apple brown, scramble brown, fried brown. It's brain food. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to finish up this bit?
1: Sure. Yeah, this is a really long deleted scene. Toby tells everyone at this point that poor people are not dumpsters for your garbage. And Phyllis says they should be grateful. This is good food. Toby says, all right. Which is why we are not going home early today and we are going to hang out and have a little Thanksgiving feast of our own. But everyone's happy at first. Kevin shouts, yes, but then Toby finishes with this canned food, and Kevin says, you son of a <laughs> B word. And Jim, uh, at the end of this, has a little bit of a grin on his face, and Nellie does too, and so I think it, it, they were breaking character. And that might have been one, one contributing factor to why this was cut. But Anyways, we, we go to see everyone preparing this meal. Kevin is shaking the contents of one thing into a bowl. And Stanley's running off like he's about to be sick. Pete is dumping beans into a bowl only to see that there are no beans left because they're so old that they've withered away. Daryl has a talking head. He says, you know, I think the point was made. Now we're just wasting food. But when Toby gets going, there's just no stopping him. And so it's time to eat. Toby stands and says, happy Thanksgiving. And remember, you did this to yourselves. Everyone has a small helpings of gross on their plates and they're all hesitant to start. And Toby has a talking head saying, I think everybody learned a valuable lesson. And I had a Thanksgiving meal with other people for the first time in years. Good for me. (laughs) And if we see him with his arms around Phyllis and Kevin at the dinner table, he's really happy with himself. I kind of love this scene because, uh, I mean, yeah, Toby's kind of like obnoxious about it, but why not? I mean, it's a good lesson. Teach everyone about generosity. Yeah, it's a little heavy-handed, but I think it's important. So good for Toby. I'll side with him this time.
0: (laughs) He needs it. He would love that. He would make you grow a mustache.
1: No, thank (laughs) you.
0: Angela asks Trevor what his credentials are to be this hitman. Dwight tells her that he's a self-professed private investigator and a master of obscure martial arts forms, including a medieval form of wrestling that no one has heard of, which Trevor says is an advantage for him because how do you defend yourself against something you don't know what it is? Angela asks what will happen if he gets caught, and Trevor tells her not to worry about him. Angela says, of course I'm not worried about you, I'm worried about me. (laughs) Trevor says that he will slip through their fingers, he's ungraspable. And uh, Dwight tries to grab him several times, but Trevor really is uh, not able to be caught. He's liquid, he just sort of slides through Dwight's hands.
1: Pam, in the warehouse, at her mural-to-be, Aaron comes in and says, Pam, you have to see what Pete's doing in the annex right now. He's building this house of cards. Pam gets a little bit snappy, says, you know, I'm kind of busy right now, Aaron. Aaron says, "Okay, I see what you're going for. Graph paper, because all she has on the wall at this point is primer with a grid. Aaron says, "Oh, oh, good. I was a little worried because you're supposed to be this incredible artist. And so she leaves and Pam just kind of grimaces and she stares at the wall and sort of hems and haws. And then she talks to the camera and says, it's a lot of pressure. There are people in the warehouse every day and she doesn't want. I don't want them to look up and say, boy, that Pat really screwed up this one. Because apparently a lot of people in the warehouse think her name is Pat. <laughs> and sure enough, we get a Hide talking head right after. He says, so many things more scary than painting. Japanese government, Chinese Navy. What is Pat afraid of? Pat afraid of Pat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Stanley, in the kitchen of the restaurant that they go to, is grabbing food off of plates that haven't gone out yet. And uh, Jim is paying off a waiter to allow this to happen. Jim runs out of cash, though, and Stanley tells Jim to bite the man. He demands, bite him. And Jim, thankfully, refuses, but Stanley grabs more food anyway, and it's all very, very odd.
1: Jim, right after, is driving them back, and he says, you know, I've had a lot of fun today. I didn't think I'd be doing this, but I'm ready to beg, so here we go. Will you please cover my clients for me while I'm gone? And they're just PTFO in the backseat.
0: Pam is a talking head. She says, no, I've never gotten a customer complaint, but that doesn't mean I'm afraid to take risks. I'm the one who told Jim we should try wakeboarding. Then I researched it. It's crazy dangerous, so get the facts.
1: (laughs) Robert uh, Lipton, the senator, shows up to the office with coffee, but nobody's there except Daryl. Robert says, where is everybody? Daryl says, well, I think Angela went down to the warehouse. Robert says, okay, I'll look there then. But if I miss her, will you tell Oscar to tell Angela that I stopped by for her. Daryl says, you know, I can just tell her myself. And Robert says, of course, that, that's even better. So he shows up in the warehouse and he says hi to Pam. And he says, I thought you were the office manager. She says, no, I'm an artist and I work in an office. And then Pam has a talking head. She says, I guess I can handle criticism from heday, from people whose mamas are fat, from people whose mamas are so small that they could hang glide on a Dorito. Anybody.
0: <laughs> that's a uh, Marcel Dechelle reference oh, which is, is the oh, one funny. voice that i can occasionally do but i have to be in the right mindset so i'm not gonna do it <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's an erin talking head uh she says that pete really sticks up for the underdog and in my book that's the best dog to stick up for the little dog that's underneath the other dogs way at the bottom so yeah good guy this pete i like this guy
1: mm-hmm. mm. this she likes him <laughs> like like Mm. Mm. <laughs> okay. Discussion topics. I actually have two. Mm. They should be pretty brief, though. So at the end of the episode, when Dwight is comforting Angela after the confrontation with Oscar, she says, I don't like your friend Trevor. Dwight says, I don't like him either. And yet I really like him. I was wondering how you interpreted that. Like, what, what do you think Dwight is really saying or maybe even like what Angela... Doesn't like about Trevor. Like I'm just curious to interpret these people's opinions of Trevor and how they got to this place. Hmm.
0: Okay, I can answer the Angela side of that. I think pretty easily. I, I he's everything that Angela is not. Trevor mm-hmm. is. Um, he's violent. He's a weirdo. He's just creepy, and that's sort of everything that Angela tries to not be.
1: Mm-hmm. And he sort of brings out her dark side.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's just not her. You know. Style. Dwight I of course haven't thought about this. It's the first time I'm hearing the question, but I think it might be a sign of his changing personality a little bit. I think past Dwight, who's that friend that he took to uh not Beach Day? Rolf, was it? Rolf, yes. Of course, every friend we've met of his has been very odd. But I'm thinking like I think past Dwight would really like Trevor and so Mm -hmm. they are friends from the past, but I think the way that Dwight was so against Angela, before he even knew who she was planning on hurting, he was so against her doing this that Trevor being the kind of guy who would murder somebody or who thinks that he would murder somebody, I don't know. I don't think it's actually up Dwight's alley. I think he thinks it is, but I don't think it actually is. I don't think that he would really hurt someone, Dwight.
1: I'm just curious at the order that he says it. He says, I don't like him either, and yet I really oh. like him. So yeah. I- I'm just trying to figure out what parts of him turn him off and what parts of him turn him on as far as friendship goes. Like maybe it, it is the violence. You know, Trevor, we didn't say this in the episode, Trevor did uh, was a volunteer sheriff. He was in that volunteer program that Dwight was in back in the day uh so that's how they met so maybe it's those emotional ties those nostalgia ties that he really likes about Trevor and that he is a friend but it is the the more violent aspects the more unhinged aspects that sort of make him turn away from it i don't know mm. i'm curious to hear other people's opinions on that my other discussion topic which is more fun what other items do you think Trevor keeps receipts on hand for <laughs> mm.
0: I would just say other weapons, um, locks to his safe, <laughs> <laughs> um, receipt for his car, proof of purchase. I, I don't know. I don't know. I just had what a funny thought.
1: What if, what if he's like has a receipt for like a Motorola razor? Like, like like an old school phone that used to be really popular or something. And that's why he Dwight like was no longer has. Yeah. That, maybe that's the reason Dwight was hesitant on whether or not hesitant, but he was unsure whether Trevor would get back to him really quickly. He says, "All now we all we have to do is wait. And Trevor ends up texting back real fast, but uh, that would be funny. Yeah. I have a phone. Check it out. Bragging about a phone that's that a you don't one. really need to brag about anymore.
0: I like that. That's a good idea. <laughs> good thought.
1: Okay, we don't have to linger on that. <laughs> uh, before we finish up the episode, we have two voicemails. We started with one, but somebody actually called during the show, and we're going to play it. So how yeah. about that? Okay, the first one is from Megan from Washington.
0: Hi, hey, Chad and Katie. This is Megan from Walla Walla, Washington. I wanted to thank you guys for sticking with the series, and it's just been really fun to listen to your take on The Office since you're getting close to the end of the series, I was wondering how you guys think The Office as a show has impacted American television with its sense of humor and its format. Just interested to see what you guys think. Have a great day. Bye.
1: Okay, how do we think that The Office has impacted American television?
0: My initial thoughts are that it kind of created this genre following The Office in the Mike Schur universe. <laughs> we've got Parks and Rec. We've got Brooklyn Nine-Nine. We've got uh, Superstore. We've got The Good Place. I feel like I'm missing one, but they all have this, they all have their own identity, but it's sort of one of those things, like if you like The Office, you will like these other shows too, uh, generally speaking. And I can't quite put a thumb on what that is, but I think that it has stemmed from it, several shows that have sort of shaped modern television, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if I could I don't know if I could list any specific ways in which it has influenced things. Certainly, the the direct spin off, well, not spin off, you know what I mean, though, uh, Parks and Rec is, I think, the most obvious parallel just because it is still Mike Scher and uh, Greg Daniels, I think, was involved in that one as well. Uh, and it's the same sort of mockumentary format. Uh, I don't watch a whole lot of other shows that feature a mockumentary style format, even Superstore. It, there's very similar like character and story beats to The Office, but I don't. It's not mockumentary style. There's not like talking heads and stuff like that. But what I think that the show did more than anything was bring forward some of these big names. I mean, Steve Carell uh, wasn't big until The Office. And maybe you could attribute a lot of that to like The 40-Year-Old Virgin as well, which came out around the same time. But they brought Steve Carell into the forefront. It brought Ed Helms into the forefront. It brought, who else? Um, John
0: Krasinski. He's John now Krasinski. now a big-time director.
1: Yeah, I mean, he he's doing his own things. He, he's a big-time director, and he's Jack Ryan on Amazon. That's a big character. So, yeah, I, I think more than anything, yeah, the sense of humor has lasted, but I don't know if there's any shows that have captured the same sort of, people like to call it cringe humor. I sort of hate using that word. But, it, I mean, it, it, it's sort of apt in describing the show. I don't know if anybody's highlighted that the same way that The Office has. But the the more lasting impact that The Office has had to me, rather than on other television shows, is just like it's staying power and rewatchability. I mean, here we are six years after the show ended, and we're still talking about it pretty in depth. And people watch it on Netflix all the time, and people are buying it on DVD and on digital now that it's leaving Netflix in a year. And it, I mean, it's a big deal. It's a, it's a it's like a, I think the Zeitgeist is the word. It's just like it's got this huge mm. following, and so that's the the biggest takeaway i get from the show so
0: yeah absolutely
1: thanks for that megan and then we got one more voicemail while we're recording from Corey in oregon hey everyone this is chad from the future cutting in to say we did respond to this voicemail uh, but we are cutting it from the public release of the show because it contains some slight spoilers for what comes later in season nine So if you would like to hear the voicemail and you would like to hear our response to it, it is still logged in the Twitch stream. So if you go to twitch.tv slash workplace pod, you can see our past streams. And so you can actually see our response to this voicemail from Corey. So Corey, thanks for leaving us a voicemail, but we ended up cutting it just because of spoiler stuff and everybody knows our policy on that. So anyways, bye.
0: And that is the end of our official 98th episode of An American Workplace. You can contact us at Facebook.com slash WorkplacePod or at WorkplacePod on Twitter. Place it over to Apple Podcasts where you can rate, review, and subscribe. And you can email feedback and ideas to WorkplacePod at gmail.com.
1: If you would like to leave us a voicemail like Megan and Corey did tonight, you can call us 93 Pretz Day. That is 937-738-9329. Remember to leave your message less than a minute long. Be specific, be direct. Leave your name so we can thank you by name. Uh, we just want to be able to include you on the show. And if it's too long, we have to sort of consider that because we already make a long show. So uh keep it short and sweet. We'd love to hear from you. Talk about funny moments, talk about questions, whatever you might think of. We would love to hear from you.
0: You can find me on Twitter at KTLady623. I'm also occasionally on Facebook at facebook.com slash katie.white.
1: And the best place for me is also on Twitter. You can find me at chadadada, that is C H A D A D A D A. Also, facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And you can find my other podcast, Cinescope. You can find it where podcasts can be found and at the dot com, And show notes and all contact information can be found at workplacepodcast.com. If you want a shout out and more of An American Workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, remember that cutoff is coming very soon because we'll be ending the Patreon when we finish the show. So if you want a logo sticker, we're going to be sending them out, but you need to sign up like now. Um, And live streams. Uh, Obviously, we do the live streams every week uh, for everybody. Check out our Patreon page. Pick the support level that you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod.
0: That is all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 98 of An An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 99 for our discussion on the next episode of season nine, Dwight Christmas. Bye.
1: Bye. So fun interlude real quick. My second one, this episode, we're five minutes in. Uh, I (laughs) was worried. I was worried as you were reading the introduction just now that I hadn't written my plot summary. And so I was prepared. I was thinking, okay, what plot points do I need to cover as I improvise this right now? (laughs) And I scroll to the bottom of my notes and I'm like, oh good. I wrote my plot summary.
0: (laughs) We have had major, we have much more major infractions on this podcast besides not writing (laughs) a summary. So you could have winged it and it would have been fine
1: <laughs> yeah okay
0: which of course harkens back to that's not a word is that a word
1: yeah harkens yeah.
0: yeah yeah okay i used that correctly using words harkens back <laughs> <laughs> to, i use words all the time
1: sorry i'm looking for an emoji to send in the chat <laughs>
0: <laughs> priorities uh,
1: yeah give me a second I, I gotta attend to the the live audience um it's for dan Uh. I'm looking for the wide-eyed emoji. We'll use this one.
0: I don't even know where to find. Them.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. Um,
0: and Trevor, who doesn't seem comfortable either with killing someone, suggests a kidnapping, not a kidnapping. Katie. <laughs> <laughs> Daryl pocket dialed a customer while they were having sex. Well not sorry, let me rephrase that. <laughs> Not the not the customer.